Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago when I was speaking, um, we had a whole section where um, Paul was talking about how some Jewish Christians had come to the church and had said, oh, you, you people who've come to faith in Christ, you've become Christians, but you have to get circumcised, the men have to get circumcised, and um, with that comes the following of the law. You have to do that. It's not, it's not enough just to believe in Christ. You have to do this other thing as well. Uh, in other words, you have to become Jewish, if you like, in order to be a Christian. And um, Paul argues very strongly against that, and he went to the um, church leaders in Jerusalem and uh, talked with them about it and they made this pronouncement that no, Christians didn't have to follow that. So the men didn't have to get circumcised and they did not have to follow the Jewish law. And they did say, well, we'd like you to, you know, to keep these things, um, which Paul doesn't mention and I wonder if he doesn't mention it in this letter because they were doing it anyway, I don't know. But um, they just said, just these things that we'd like you um, not to do. One of them was, for example, um, eating the meat. Um, It's polluted by idols, so sacrifice to idols and things like that. So they just gave a few things that they thought it would be good for the Christians to follow. That said, no, they didn't have to become Jews and keep the whole law. Um, Now here... Um, Paul's kind of moving on in his argument and he's talking about what the law achieves and, um, and what it doesn't achieve. And so let's start reading. I'm going to read through the whole passage. It's quite a long passage from Galatians 3.15 to 4.7. Will I read through? Yeah, no, I think I'm going to stop at certain points just to explain what's going on and then round it up and then see why it's so important to Paul. Right, so he starts off um, in this section. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that that has been established, sorry, that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Right, I'm going to stop there straight away. Um, because we don't really talk very much about covenants now. Um, basically, what he's saying is that just as if you have a legal contract or a legal document, let's say you write a will or you put something in trust for somebody and you say, at such and such a time, um, something will happen. So maybe, say, say for example, you put your house in trust to your children. Okay, And you say either when I die or when my child reaches this age, then the house becomes theirs. Okay, It's a legal document. You go to the lawyer, you go through all the paperwork, you sign it, you have your signature witnessed. And then that becomes a legal document. And when the conditions are fulfilled, so either you you die or the child reaches that age... um, then the document comes into force and whatever was in that document um, is, is a legal thing. It has to happen. 
And so what he's saying here, he calls it a human covenant. It's, it's kind of like a legal document is what he's talking about. You can't just go and like say, oh, I don't want to do that bit anymore. I'll just cross that out. Okay? And I'll just alter this bit over here. Yeah? You, can't, you can't do that because it's a legal document. And, um, uh, and also you can't ignore it. When the conditions are fulfilled, you can't just ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. Okay? Um, Excuse me, Pauline and um, Sarah, just come in a moment. Okay. Um, so that's what, so just keep that in mind. He's saying this thing, and we'll come and find out what this thing is, can't just be changed because other circumstances happen or things um, happen later. So now he's talking about the promises. The promises that were spoken. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who's Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, so 430 years after the promise that God had given to Abraham, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Crystal clear, isn't it? Okay, you all know what we're talking about? <laughs> okay, what he's saying is that God gave Abraham a promise. Does anybody remember what the promise was or the four elements of the promise? Quick revision here. They would become a great nation. That they would become a blessing to others. Land. He promised a land to Abraham. And last one. Special relationship with God. The people would have a special relationship with God. So the promise. You can look it up in Genesis 12. Um, uh, so it, God promised Abraham that they would have a land, that they would become a great nation, they would have a special relationship with God, and that, that people would become a blessing to all people. All right. So that's the promise that God gave Abraham. And what Paul is saying is the law that came later didn't supersede that promise. It didn't like push the promise aside because the promise is like a legal document that you don't just change or forget about later on when the conditions are right. Okay? So he's saying the law, the law came later, but it doesn't annul the promise that God gave Abraham. So then you might be asking, and Paul asks with a rhetorical question, why then was the law given at all if all you really need is the promise? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Okay? So, his, it's, um, the law was given to keep people going in the right direction until the conditions were fulfilled for the promise to happen. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. <coughs> A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. 
Now, what on earth does that mean? So, what he's saying here is the law had two parties involved in it. It had the person giving the law and the people who had to obey the law. Right? So, that's like two people, two parties involved. But the promise, right, it says God is one, the promise just came from God. It's a free gift. He gave it. He gave the promise that there's only one person involved in that. He gave the promise, whereas the law has to be kept. So it's given and it has to be obeyed, right? But the, the promise was given um, directly to Abraham with no sort of strings attached, no conditions that Abraham had to fulfill in order for the promise to come about at the right time. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Okay, so if the law could give life, that's the way life would have come. He's talking about spiritual life, life as um, one of the people of God, life as God's child. Right? So if that had been possible, that's what would have happened. The law, the righteousness, life would have come through the law. But scriptures locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believed. Now, scripture, when we see the word scripture, we think the whole Bible. Yeah? Um, but it's probably meaning the law. Yeah? So the law locked everything up under sin, under the control of sin, is how the NIV puts it, right? So that the promise later would, would be for those who believed. And so the law will come on to what the law does. The law keeps them on the straight and narrow until the promise comes, the promise is fulfilled. And the promise is given to those who believe. Okay? Is, that, is this kind of clear, not clear? Yeah, okay, good, good. Let's move on then, because he carries on explaining. Um, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, guardians had a slightly different um, function, perhaps, than they have now. Um, sort of. A guardian was a, a slave who was um, appointed by the head of the household to, um, if you like, keep the child, particularly the sons, on the straight and narrow until they became adults and took responsibility for whatever they took responsibility for in the household. Right? So guardians were like tutors and they were like, um, almost like police in one sense. They were keeping the, the sons in particular um, behaving properly, teaching them what was moral behaviour and what was a good way to behave. Right, until the son would come of age and then would inherit whatever he, he was to inherit. Right? So he's saying the law is like that. The law was teaching people 
the right way to live until Christ came and then the promise could be fulfilled because we, we know Jesus through faith. All right? Um, so there we go. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's probably talking about spiritually baptised as opposed to actually water baptism. Um, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's stop there. The Jewish men would recite a prayer every morning. And part of this prayer, in part of this prayer, they thanked God that they had not been born a Gentile, that they had not been born a slave, and they had not been born a woman. And so Paul, I think, is really going for it here. He is kind of having a go at the promise that they, at the thanks that they were, the prayer that they would do every day. And he's saying, no, no, no. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave, slave or a free person. And there are not male and female. In other words, you are all one in Christ. In Christ, there's no distinction. There may be distinctions in the culture or whatever. He's not addressing that. He's addressing in Christ, you all have the same position before God. And earlier we were saying he's, he's trying to um, unite these two groups, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so he's, he's saying, look, all these divisions that have been put up, we need to remove them. In Christ, none of those are relevant for faith. We're all, we all belong to Christ in the same way. There's not a better person because they're a free person. They're not uh, better because they're male. They don't have a better relationship with God. No, it's the same for everybody. If you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's seed and heirs according to the promise. So guess what? If we are in Christ, we are heirs of that eternal life with Christ because of what he did on the cross. That's what Paul's saying. So what I'm saying, he carries on, is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the... NIV said, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. I think he probably actually doesn't mean the spiritual forces. I think he means the law here. Fits better with his argument. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So, 
he's saying that, um, I think you get the picture there, um, but in his context, a, a child of the household had these guardians until he became of age, whatever the age was, don't know what it was in Roman, in Roman times, but when he was considered to be adult and then he would inherit what, um, what he was heir to. Um, yeah, and then when that, so now that that time has come, that Jesus is, has come, and if we come to Jesus in faith, then we're all heirs of, of his kingdom, if you like. And that has happened. And as we come to him in faith, we inherit that. That's what Jesus came to do, to give us life and life in all, in all its fullness. Um, yeah. And then it says, I just want to explain this, because you are his sons... He's not talking just to the men at this point, but sons were the ones who inherit in that culture. And so he's saying, you're, you're all like sons, you all inherit. It doesn't just go to a, a certain group of people. In that culture, it was to the males, male children. It's for everybody. We can all become Christians. We can all have faith in Christ. It's for everybody, absolutely everybody. And there's no uh, distinction um, there's no separating. We can't say oh, this this group of people don't deserve it or shouldn't have it or whatever. Um, it's for everybody. So what he's arguing here is that the law was there for a time in order to um, show the people of God how to live in a way that didn't put up barriers between them and God. So it's a good way to live that kept that communication going with God until such time as the conditions were fulfilled for the promise to happen. And the promise was Jesus coming. And Jesus has come. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. So that promise is now fulfilled. So the law is not necessary to keep us in the right relationship with God because we have faith in Christ we have his spirit in us and that is what keeps us in relationship with God okay is that clear yeah okay fine now it doesn't mean that the law's rubbish it doesn't mean that we should we shouldn't take the good things from from laws and, and particularly laws in the Bible but it's saying that's not how you come to God that's not how you gain salvation. You gain salvation through Christ, through believing in Christ. Um, so, you know, yeah, take, take what's good. <laughs> um, but it, it isn't the way to Christ. It isn't the way to God. We go to come to God through faith in Christ. Now, you might think, oh, well, we know that already. Or you might think, how is that relevant to us? Well, let me just first of all tell you how it was relevant to Paul. Paul, in this letter, is cross. He is really cross. If you look at all the other letters that he wrote, he has a greeting at the beginning, and then he has a paragraph or a few paragraphs where he's telling the people he's writing to how wonderful they are. 
He's saying how much he prays for them, how they're always in his prayers, how he says such good things about them, how he rejoices in, in them and um, in what he's heard about them and how they're going on in the faith and how wonderful it is. Galatians is the only letter where he doesn't do that. He goes from the greeting to, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I think they would consider themselves roundly told off. Um, and um, that kind of sets the tone for the letter. We know that Paul is cross. And I suggest he is cross from what we've, written, from what we've read before. He's cross with the Jewish Christians who come and told the Galatian Christians that they have to be circumcised and follow the law. I suggest he's crossed with Peter, because he specifically mentioned how Peter, although he says the, the Gentiles don't have to become Jewish, don't have to be circumcised and follow the law, he then starts withdrawing from them because he's afraid of those Jewish Christians. He's crossed with Peter, and I think he's crossed with the Galatians for actually believing um, what they've been told, i.e. a different gospel. And he actually said um, earlier on, won't be able to find it now, but everyone who, who preaches a different gospel is, uh, I think he says, is under God, God's curse or something like that. He's pretty strong in his language here and he is cross. But why? Why is he cross? He's cross because people are adding to the gospel and making it more difficult for people to become Christians. He's saying that um, what he has been preaching that you need to know Christ, you need to come to Christ. It's through faith in Christ that you enter into freedom, that you enter into freedom from the law, actually, but you enter into freedom, you enter into fullness of life. That's what he has been preaching for many years. And now this group of Christ uh, Jewish Christians, so they were Christians, but they were Jewish Christians, were coming and saying, oh, no, 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 you have to do this and this as well in order to become a Christian. And Paul is saying, no. That is not right. It, as I was reading this, it, it reminded me of when Jesus got really cross in the temple. And it's for, for a different reason in one sense. But you know when Jesus, the only time we hear of Jesus being cross is when he goes into the temple and there are people with tables up there selling things and there's money changing going on. And yes, for a religious purpose, but nonetheless, it had, they'd filled a certain area of the temple and all this, these transactions were going on. They were selling things that, um, that were needed for the sacrifices. They were changing money because you needed a certain coin to give the temple tax and, and various other things there. And Jesus, if you remember, goes and he overturns the tables and he says, um, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. Um, and he was cross because of all the things that were going on there, but he was also cross because that was the area of the temple 
that non-Jews could come into in order to worship God. And so something was being put in the way. I was saying, no, you can't come in. We're filling up this space so you can't come in. And Jesus got cross about that. And Paul here is cross because people are putting up something in the way of people becoming Christians or remaining in faith. They're making it harder for people to remain in Christ. In fact, when he went to see, um, when he went to Jerusalem, let me just find it, in Acts 15. Peter actually says, um, okay, so he's, this is Peter talking about uh, Gentiles, so non-Jews who'd become Christians. Uh, it's Acts 15, verse 8, if you want to look it up, we'll look it up later. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, these Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between, them, between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we, i.e. we Jews, nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So Paul, uh, Peter acknowledged that the law was too hard to keep. And he's not, you know, he's probably not just talking about the Ten Commandments, he's talking about all the other laws that were added. So it's too hard to keep. Why are we now saying to this group of people, who aren't ethnically Jewish anyway, why are we saying to them they have to keep those laws that we found so too hard to keep? No, they've come to faith in Christ. That's what needs to happen. That's the way to be, to follow Christ. You don't have to have all these add-ons. And that's why Paul is really, really cross. Because add-ons, things are being added on to the gospel. You have to believe and do this. And he's saying, no, you just have to believe in Christ. That's how you become a Christian. I wonder... Oh, a few minutes. I wonder if there are things that we add on to the gospel. Maybe only in our heads and to ourselves, I must do better at this in order to be accepted by God. Or maybe we put it on other people and say, oh, they can't be Christians because. Or they ought to do this in order to be acceptable to God when we can see that actually they have faith in Christ. Now, I have to say that Paul, um, Paul doesn't say, oh, so anything goes when you're a Christian. You do what you like. You just believe and do what you like. Later on in this letter, we'll see that he says, actually, you know, there are things that if you become a Christian, you will be changed, you will be transformed. You should allow God to transform you. There are things that perhaps you shouldn't be so involved in anymore that you were doing before things that you can take should should maybe take on board 
Um, so he's not saying, you know, I'll let it all hang out, you know, now you're Christian. But he, he's not saying that doing certain things is going to bring you to salvation. What makes you right with God is believing in Jesus. And I'm sure we can all testify that there are things in our lives that we're not, we're not uh, uh, proud of. <laughs> Perhaps even things that we're ashamed of. Um, but actually we know that we have a relationship with God and God is working on us, in us, working things through. For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio.